0: If you have a Bible, find the book of Colossians. Colossians, way to the right side of your Bible. We're going to be starting in chapter number one. This morning, we are starting a study uh, on this book of the Bible that is called Colossians. It's going to be, it looks like right now, about six weeks. It could stretch out to as many as eight, depending on how excited we get and how things work out with this, okay? But this is a great opportunity for us Uh, It's something we don't do enough, but it's something that I actually love doing, and that is to just go verse by verse through a book of the Bible and really allow the Word of God to just speak to us and to show us things, and uh, you will find, and I have found, that it is incredibly relevant to some of the things that we face and all of that type of stuff. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go section by section through this book of the Bible. Uh, and I believe God's going to show us things, encourage us, challenge us. So let's just open up our hearts today uh, and and sit on the edge of your seats. I know that you want to. And so let's do that. Uh, and let's get in go into this study expecting something from God. That's what this is about. So uh, let's start by just praying together. And so stand with me all over this place and... Uh, And let's just pray, let's invite God into this moment and into the next few minutes we have together and uh, that he would just speak and do things. So let's just pray with me. We pray, God, we love you and we need you and we are hungry for more of you. God, this is not about us just going through the motions and doing churchy stuff, but we genuinely have a desire to hear from you, to know you more, uh, and to grow in our faith and in our relationship with you. And so God, I pray that as we open up your very word today that significant things would come, that we would be excited, that we would be expectant, God, that we would lean in to your very word. God, use me in this. Don't let this be my stuff, but let the word of God come out today. That is our prayer. That is what we need, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. Oh, poor Nathan. All right, Uh, before we get to the Bible and and get into this book, I want us to talk through what we know about this book of the Bible called Colossians. First of all, if you're new around here or if you're new to the church thing at all, understand the Bible is 66 different books uh, that were written by about 40 different people over a period of about 1,600 years. And we believe that God has beautifully and incredibly put this together for us exactly the way that, uh, that he wanted it, and that it is relevant, it is powerful, it is the very word of God. So 66 different books, though, written by 40 different people, all sorts of different genres. There's poetry books, there's history Um, Some of it is even songs that were written, and you can read, I was reading some stuff this morning, and the heading over the what I read in the book of Psalms was like, to be accompanied by a harp, and I didn't have my harp with me this morning, so I just had to read it, but it was like, oh wow, this is a song right here, this is pretty cool. Uh, We also have biographies telling the story of a specific person, Uh, we have letters that were written from one person to another person or to a group of people, that is the Bible, All wrapped up. And so we are studying one of those books of the Bible. Uh, We're going to go through the entire thing, short book of the Bible called Colossians. And so a number, a a bunch of information to start about the book of Colossians, even before we read it. And for some of us, this is going to be lame right here. And for some of us, you're going to eat this up and love it. And I don't care who you are though, that's what we're doing. All right. So that's the plan. Um, and so I've worded this first part in the form of a couple questions and answers, so write this down if you're taking notes. Question number one, what is the book of Colossians? What is it? All right, the book of Colossians is a letter that was written by Paul and Timothy, and we'll talk a little bit about who they are, to a small group of Christians in a city called Colossae. Everyone say Colossae. You got it. Yeah, we're talking about history now. Okay, if you've been here before, we've talked a lot about this man named Paul. Paul is probably the most influential person in Christian history, like with the exception of Jesus himself. Uh, Paul was responsible for bringing the message of Jesus outside of the Jewish people and into the Roman Empire, which is probably the reason it is spread even to us today. Well, so who is Timothy? Well, on one of Paul's missionary journeys, and Paul would like Paul would travel around the whole Roman Empire, 500 miles, three, four, five, six, seven-year trips, stopping at different places and different times. And at one on one of those journeys, Paul meets this young man named Timothy, and Timothy sort of becomes one of Paul's apprentices. Is kind of the word. Eventually, this man named Timothy would land and be left in the city of Ephesus and be the leader of that church community. Uh, a fantastic person. We know all of that because Paul writes two letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, in our Bible. And there's also a letter written to Ephesus called Ephesians. But at the very core, Colossians is this letter that Paul and Timothy wrote to this group of Christians in a city called Colossae. Question number two. What do we know about the city of Colossae? Uh, this map right here, I have a map, it's kind of confusing possibly, uh, but this is the Mediterranean, is what we have, and so to the south, we have uh, northern Africa, like Egypt, Uh, to the, it would be the east, I'm trying, it gets confusing when you go like this, okay, to the the east, we have Israel, and you can see the kind of shaded area all the way on the bottom right side, that is the area that Jesus would have lived his entire life, and you can see Jerusalem on the bottom, Okay, uh, to the west we have the beginning of Europe. You can see the boot that is what's what country? Italy? Yeah, even that's one of the things you remember from geography. The only thing I remember is Italy's like a boot, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, and you can see Rome up there, uh, and then right in the middle there we have really the place that Paul traveled, and uh, to the left middle or the west middle we have. Uh, Greece that is where Corinth is if you can read that and then the little spot that says Colossae in that little spot that is modern-day Turkey uh, is what we have right there okay Colossae is inland a little bit right in the middle a city called Laodicea just a few miles north another Bible city Ephesus about a hundred miles to the west what kind of a city was Colossae well actually in the time of Paul uh, Colossae was dying Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Uh, Colossae was originally this incredible city. It was a part of this trade route. Tons of people would travel through it. But by the time of Paul, um, that had been rerouted, and it was just kind of a has-been of a city. One scholar I was reading actually wrote, there's no question that Colossae was the most insignificant city Paul ever wrote to. Okay, so just understand a little bit what we have. Insignificant, dying, it's not what it once was. All right, we now know this is kind of interesting. We now know that a few years after Paul wrote this letter to this city, to these people, uh, an earthquake is going to absolutely demolish this city, and it is really never going to be fully rebuilt. Another interesting thing, this is not in my notes, but just some of the stuff that I was reading. Uh, Colossae is one of the few cities in the biblical cities that have not been excavated. You can go to Colossae and what you'll see is just a big mound of dirt, like a hill over the entire thing. Uh, It has not been excavated, so there's a whole lot of questions that we do not know about that. But so, ancient city, uh, modern-day Turkey, Lame city in comparison to some of the others, that is Colossae. You with me so far? All right, some of us are like, this is the lamest. I did not come to history class, Pastor Kyle. This is dumb, but that's okay. All right, question number three. What is the story behind the church there? What is the story, okay, what's interesting about this specific city is it, it is one of the few cases where we're pretty sure that Paul never actually went there. That's different than most of the places that he writes letters to, which is like Ephesus, Ephesians, you know, uh, Philippians, uh, Galatians. These are all to cities that he went to. He started churches in these places, and he writes letters back, okay? This is different. Uh, he He has written a letter to a group of people he never met who are part of a church he didn't start, and that's different for Paul. But this church was a direct result of Paul's ministry there. Listen to this right here, okay? Uh, The church in Colossae was started by a man named Epaphras. We still see his name come up in the letter. Epaphras was thought to have become a Christian in Ephesus, 100 miles away from where we are, when Paul was there. More than likely sometime between 52 A.D. and 57 A.D., Uh, because Paul lived in Ephesus for three years of his life during that stretch. Well, Epaphras becomes a Christian and returns to his hometown of Colossae, and this little church forms out of that. A few years later, Paul is in prison for what we think to be is the third or fourth time. It gets kind of confusing. We think this is now about 62 AD, and we think Paul is in Rome, but some scholars argue some of that just... Okay, whatever. Uh, but Epaphras visits Paul in prison, and he updates him on how things have been going in Colossae and how things are like going really well. But he also mentions some of the cultural pressures that were tempting the church people to turn away from Jesus. Hear that again, cultural pressures that are tempting the church people to turn away from Jesus. So Paul writes this letter to encourage them and to address this threat, okay? We'll hear more about this threat in coming weeks as we get further along. Is that rain? That's awesome. Wow. This is, hope the roof holds up here for us. That's okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a metal roof and so it's loud as I'll get out in here and that's all right. I don't know what I'll get out or how loud that is, but that's a weird thing to say. Okay, question number four, and the last, the last question, and then we're gonna to get to the Bible here, I promise, but uh, stick with me. What else do we know about Colossians? What else do we know, okay? Probably the most interesting piece of information is that Paul is in jail. He's in prison. Why is Paul in prison? Okay, I'll tell you why. Paul has been traveling around the Roman Empire, which is the superpower of that day, and he has been declaring Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And this is going to consistently get Paul into problems and into trouble. Even though Paul is a Roman citizen, he is going to spend multiple times uh, in multiple places. He's going to be in jail or in prison in different locations at different times. Eventually, almost all scholars believe that Paul is going to be executed in Rome uh, for declaring Jesus is Lord. All right, that's the story, okay, of that. But this, this is a letter that's written in, uh, well, he's in prison. He's in prison and somehow has paper and a pen and whatever else he needs, and he writes letters in that, okay? Uh, now, also, and I thought this was interesting. I didn't know this until this week because I read this. Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon were all written from prison at the same time. And so he's in prison. He's writing letters to all sorts of different places and sending them. In fact, Colossians and Philemon are two. Philemon is this super short little letter in the, in, that's a little bit farther right in, than Colossians. Super short letter. He writes both of these letters, and both of them are delivered by the same person to Colossae. Colossians is written to the group of Christians there. Philemon was a letter written to an individual there named Philemon. And the story is this man delivers it with these letters. And with this man who delivers is a runaway slave known, uh, his name was Onesimus. And this slave had escaped, Uh, he was Philemon's slave and he ran away, and Paul somehow becomes in contact with this slave. This slave gives his life to Jesus uh, and has this experience, and now he's going back to his master. His master has the full authority and right in this culture to imprison him, to even kill this slave for what he has done running away Paul writes this letter of Philemon, sends it with the letter to Colossians, and the slave is with them, and they walk in, and the letter to Philemon basically says, hey, treat this man like he's a brother. It's a cool thing. Uh, We don't have time to study about that, but that was two letters that were written at the same time. Okay, I know that was so much information. All right, raise your hand if you thought that was neat. Okay, six of us. Wow, look at that! All (laughs) right, that's pretty amazing. Okay, so let's get right to the Bible. Uh, here we go. This is the beginning of this letter. Uh, we're gonna read through the entire first section, which is 23 verses, talk, along, talk through it along the way. Starting in verse number one, here's the letter. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now this is a fairly, fairly standard introduction for Paul. Uh, it, you know, we like to write dear whatever, uh, you know, and then at the very end of the letter you sign your name. Uh, in, in this time they would say, it's me and I'm sending it to you. Okay, And so that's what he has done here. He identifies himself, he gives who he's writing to, and then he says grace and peace, which are words he uses to start just about every letter that he writes. Grace and peace to you. Uh, And then now what we're going to see here is that Paul begins this letter with two prayers. Two prayers back to back. The first is a prayer of thanksgiving for their faith. Paul has learned from Epaphras. Remember, Paul has never met these people, but he's learned from Epaphras that... Uh, these people have been totally faithful to Jesus. And he's like super proud of them. And it's an incredible way to start this letter. So this is verse three. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay, it's this beautiful introduction that he says, we've heard so much about you, and when we pray for you, like, we rejoice inside because of who you are and what you are doing and how you are living and all of that stuff. He then moves into this second prayer, and this is really, starts in verse number nine, and he continues, he says, for this reason, "'Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. "'We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will "'through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives "'so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way.'" "...bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? Now, that was kind of like a whole bunch of stuff there. We went through it super fast, but it's the second prayer, and it is fantastic. Basically, a prayer that they would continue to grow in their faith and in their wisdom and understanding of the Lord Jesus. I love this stuff. Like, Let me list off a couple things he says live a life, we pray that you would live a life worthy of the Lord. We pray that you, you would please Him in every way. We pray that you would be bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, we, we're praying that you'd be strengthened according to His glorious might, and that you would joyfully give thanks to the Father. I love that. What a powerful thing to pray for one person to the other. I wish somebody would pray that for me. You can pray that for me, because I love that stuff. Uh, But let's just pray. I'm praying for you that you would have and be all of those amazing things. It's a beautiful way he starts this letter. Then verse 13, okay? He writes, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Paul just like pauses to remind them again and again what Jesus has done. Remember, you have been rescued been rescued from the darkness and brought into the light, brought into the kingdom of Jesus. Like, remember your redemption. Remember your forgiveness. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Paul challenges me. When I read, when I read the stuff that he writes, it just like overflows out of him of just, remember what Jesus did. I'm giving my life for this. I'm in prison right now for this. Remember what this is all about. You, you guys are a bunch of rock stars for Jesus, but I, and I pray it goes even farther, and that you would just continue to remember what Jesus did because he brought you out of the darkness and into the light. Come on, somebody. Nod with me and say, yeah, that's good. All right, all right. There we go. Uh, and then we get to verse number 15, and there's a change of direction. Paul transitions from talking about them and the church people in Colossae, and he begins this beautiful section on Jesus Christ. And you wouldn't know this, we wouldn't know this just from reading it because it doesn't read like this for us. But verses 15 through 20 here are actually a poem that Paul has added and this poem is the centerpiece of all of chapter 1 of this letter and in poetry terms and i'm not much of a poetry guy myself but maybe that's your thing this poem has two parallel stanzas or sections or okay and and they are just crammed with this language and imagery from the books of Genesis to the Exodus, Psalms, and Proverbs, it's filled with this stuff. It's beautiful. Uh, here we go. Let me read this to you. Verse 15. This is a poem, remember. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay? It may not read like a poem to us, but that's what this is. And Paul says that Jesus is the very true image of God. And in him, the full character and purpose of God is like embodied in a human, is what he says. He's the firstborn, which is really this Old Testament way of, of like declaring Jesus's royal status over all creation. Jesus shares in the very identity of the one true creator God, and by him, All reality, all powers, all authorities, spiritual and human, all of that, all of that has been created by him, and it's in Jesus the Messiah we discover the very author and the king of creation is what that is, okay? Now, there is is miles of depth in this, and we'll touch on a little bit of it in just a moment. But then he goes into this second stanza, the second section of the poem, and this is verse number 18. shed on the cross. Jesus is creator God in history, but he's also the one who is bringing this new creation to us today. He's head of this new body, which is, it refers to Jesus' people, is what that means, who are the new humanity. And in him, this glorious temple presence of God dwells. It's only in the death and the resurrection of Jesus that God has reconciled himself to humanity. Remarkable poem, uh, and he's going to keep referring back to this as the letter goes on and on okay and then is and and then in his own words we have the last couple verses for today and then we're going to kind of bring this all together and and say well what's the deal why does this matter all right Uh, verse 21 once you were alienated from god and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by christ's physical body through death to present to, present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now what we have here is just an incredible picture of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, worded in ways that are filled with so much power and imagery and different things. Here, in fact, this section right here is where we as Christians get some of our uh, theology. You're saying, "What does theology mean?" It's it's why we believe what we believe. Some of it is from this section right here. In fact, uh, like my prayer is that 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 the Word of God, even as we just go through verse by verse, my prayer is that the Word of God would challenge you and encourage you and that you would see things and things would jump off the page and that God would work even without me having to explain things because I believe the Bible works like that, okay? Um, But a summary of those 23 verses in a very theological way of saying it, and I'm going to piece this out here really quick, okay, is this five-word statement, Five words. Write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus is supreme and sufficient. Jesus is supreme and sufficient. And I understand, and I realize these might not be words that maybe we use in church when we talk about uh, God and the Bible and that type of stuff. It's not even words we really use that often in different other different ways. Uh, but let's just take them one at a time. First, Jesus is supreme. What does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, well, Martha, I think he's talking about pizza here. No, okay, that's not it. That's not what this is. Good try, though. All right, we're coming along. All right, Uh, the supremacy of Christ is a doctrine uh, surrounding the authority of Jesus and his God-nature. Okay, in the simplest of terms, what that means is to talk about the supremacy of Christ and that Jesus is supreme is to say that Jesus is God. Now, for some of us, that's like, well, that's no big, that's no big deal. We just say that stuff all the time. Understand, Jesus being God is a central piece to what it means to be a Christian. It is, it is without this, you do not have what we have, all right? Webster's defines supreme as the highest in rank or authority is what we have. Basically, there is nothing above, there is nothing better than Jesus Christ, nothing above him. Here's the language we have in Colossians chapter 1, okay? The Son is the image of the invisible God. That is saying, like when you just read into that, and there's miles of pages you can read about, every single one of these lines, but Jesus is God is what that means. The firstborn over all creation. Now, understand that right there. The firstborn over all creation. If you are over all creation, that means you are not, you, and you have not been created. Understand? You are over all creation. The cre- Jesus is God. God is the creator of all. Therefore, Jesus is creator God. That's a part of what Paul is trying to get at in some of this, and he has reasons to point this out because some of the issues that the Colossians are dealing with in their culture are going to come up, and this is going to help them understand, and some of those same issues we have issues with today, and that's coming up in the next couple weeks. This is the foundation of Paul and how he's going to attack some of that stuff. Okay, verse 16, for in him all things were created. We're talking about Jesus here, not God, not God the Father. We're talking about Jesus the Son. He was creator. It's, it's weird for some of us. You're like, but I thought he was born. And how, he, what Okay, Jesus is creator God, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. This is the supremacy of Jesus. He is above all things. All things have been created by him and for him. He is above all things. Uh, verse 17, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, head of the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, Jesus is supreme. Now, that right there, it might be, for some of us, you're like, I don't get it, okay? This, we, we are digging deep into a theological thing that puts the framework of what it means for us to be Christians is what this is. Okay, why does this matter? Okay, to understand this is essential to, the view, to our view of Jesus and our worship of Jesus. Jesus is not just a, a good man that came. Jesus is God, and He is above all things, and He created all. He is bigger than you could ever imagine and understand Okay, some people want to put him in the box of he was a good man, he was a prophet. I believe that Jesus was real because history points to Jesus as real outside of the Bible, but he is, he was, that's all he was. Okay? Okay, this Paul is just saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is is different. Jesus is above all things. Okay. Second, Jesus is sufficient. What does that mean? The word sufficient is defined by Websters as Uh, enough to meet the needs of a situation. Basically, we're saying that Jesus is enough. Jesus is all we need. There is nothing and no one that needs to be added to this. His person, His work, they are perfect. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. He is the only one who can save and salvation requires nothing else. All right? That's what it means for Jesus to be sufficient. Paul writes, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peace with God is made through Jesus and his shed blood. And that is the only way That is all there is. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God. The the Bible paints this picture of our sin, separates us from God. He's perfect. We're not. We're messy. We're sinful. There's no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've separated ourselves from God as people because we've chosen poorly. And we've messed this up. Once you were alienated from God, and we enemies, is the word it even uses, in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus and his blood and his work... God, who initially looks down and sees nothing but sinful people, separation, a mess of a situation that we have, he now looks down because of the work of Jesus, the work he sees us as blameless and without blemish. It's an incredible theological implication of how this works. But understand, Jesus is all we need. It's only through him, there's nothing else. Let me explain, what, like, let me throw this. You, you don't have to work for it, you don't have to follow a set of rules in order to gain favor and acceptance by God. You don't have to be baptized, you don't have to be confirmed, you don't have to take communion. You don't have to go to church to be saved, to receive the salvation of Jesus. Wait a second. I don't have to go to church? I'm out of here, okay? This is great. Some of you are like, this is great news. Pastor just said, you don't got to go to church, all right? But listen to me, listen. When you truly begin to encounter encounter the, the saving grace of Jesus in your life and you begin to feel that and know that and realize that and you experience that in your own life. like Christ, like church, church is no longer just a, the good thing I got to do to go to. Okay Church becomes like, I want that. And I'm here to gather together to sing of what God has done and to read the scripture and to pray for each other and encourage each other and eat cookies every once in a while. Like, I love this! But you don't understand the implications here. You don't go to church to earn salvation. You go to church because of it. You don't get baptized to earn, and so now I can go to heaven. It is a massive misconception in central Minnesota. As we have people calling us all the time saying, can you baptize my, like my, my grandson had a baby, you know, and I'm worried that baby's going to go to hell if it dies. Can you baptize my baby, whatever else? It's a misunderstanding of the scripture baptism does not save people. Communion does not forgive sins. We understand it is the blood of Jesus, and when you experience that, and you feel that, and you know that inside of you, all of these other pieces begin to come. And now... We get baptized to celebrate what God has done. I read the Bible because I want to know God more. I take communion to remember the price so I don't forget and I don't get lazy. I come to church to learn and grow and and be in community and all of that stuff. Anyone with me? Okay, that's good stuff. All right. Uh, Music team, will you please come? Jesus is supreme. He is above all. Important information as we move on in this letter. He is God. All things were created by him and for him, and Jesus is sufficient. He's all we need. It's accomplished through the blood of Jesus. Paul has set us up. He has set us up for what's coming next by laying out this beautiful stuff, deep theological implications of why we do and why we believe what we believe. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be challenged, we're going to be encouraged, we're going to be confronted. And so get ready for some of that as he's going to say some things that it's like wow ouch okay uh, some cultural things are going to show themselves some of the same issues that this church in Colossae was facing is we're gonna see that play out in our culture right now as, it, as we are being pulled away to different things we're being pressured to water things down and allow things and. It's going to go on and on. But today, as we get ready to just close the service today, we're going to just take a few moments for a time of reflection. Uh, in fact, will you just will you stand with me all over this place? God, we... pause for just a moment and celebrate the reading of your very word and the implications of even some of the stuff that we read. And for some of us in this place, God, this is a little, it can feel over our head. It can feel like, why does that matter? It can feel uh, maybe like it's not that helpful. But Lord, I just, I pray that even in this moment right now, as we are confronted with your supremacy and your sufficiency, Jesus, that we would be overwhelmed by the fact of who you are and what you have done and how that changes things for us. And so Lord, we are in awe of you, Jesus creator god who put the stars in place and knows how many hairs are on our heads and cares even for the sparrows and the flowers and all of that we are we are amazed that you love us that you choose god to to invest in our personal lives and things we do and the places we go and Lord our response Lord let it just be hearts that are overwhelmed and overflowing with love and goodness and compassion and mission to bring this to the rest of the world God even as we see this man named Paul who was traveling around the Roman Empire in a massively dangerous time in history who spends multiple times in prison and eventually is killed for his faith in Jesus. God, let that challenge us. Let that move us. God, don't let us just sit back in our freedom and become lazy and complacent versions of Christians. God, but let this overflow out of us. Let us be the change that our nation needs. And so God, we just pray that the church of Jesus would rise up and that we would that we would be the body of Christ. And so Lord, we just love you and we need you and we pray for all of that. God, we also pray for, for that person or those few people in this place who have never responded to the message god of what we read today that we are reconciled through the blood of jesus if we will put our faith and our trust in you i pray for that person that has never done that in fact if you're in this place today and that is you you can respond even in this moment right here you just say jesus i believe in you and jesus forgive my sins and i give you my life and thank you for dying for me you begin to just say those things and you say, save me from my sin, Jesus, in this moment. And you can do that in your seat right now. And so, God, I just pray for that person that needs to pray that prayer and, and, and give their life to you that in this moment that would begin and, and things would change in a supernatural way. And so, God, we love you and we need you. Challenge us, change us, move us, we pray. And we give this day to you, and it's in the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen.